Welcome to the Practice of Theology. My name is Tyler Kirkpatrick, and in addition to hosting this podcast, I serve as one of the pastors of Crosspoint Church in Columbus, Georgia. The Practice of Theology exists to help the local church engage theology on a deeper level and learn how it applies to daily life. Today we have the privilege to enter into a conversation with Michael Lawrence to discuss the topic of conversion. Michael is the lead pastor of Henson Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon, and serves as a council member of the Gospel Coalition. He is the author of several books, including Biblical Theology in the Life of the Church, Conversion, Ezekiel, a 12-week study, and It Is Well, Expositions on Substitutionary Atonement. To find out more about Michael, you can check out HensonChurch.org and follow him on Twitter at PDXTML. I'm glad to have Michael on the podcast to talk about such an important topic like conversion. I hope you are encouraged in your faith and better equipped to combat moments of doubt in your life and the lives of others. All right. Well, Michael, thank you for joining me on the Practice of Theology podcast to talk about the topic of conversion. Tyler, it's great being here. Thanks for inviting me. All right, Michael, before we get started, would you share just a little bit about who you are? Yeah. Uh, Well, I am uh, married for 31 years, the father of five kids. Uh, I've launched three of them out into the wide world this summer. (laughs) So we're we're approaching being empty nesters. Uh, I live in Portland, Oregon for the last 11 years, but I'm actually a Southerner. I grew up in uh, South Carolina. uh, And so I miss the Atlantic Ocean and good barbecue. Uh, my 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 wife and family and I we love to camp we love to be outdoors uh, and despite what you probably see on the news we really enjoy living in Portland <laughs> oh wonderful wonderful um, and tell us just a little bit about your church so I'm the pastor of Henson Baptist Church I've been here for eleven years Henson Baptist Church is um, it's been around since 1879 oh wow uh, yeah so we're we're the second Baptist Church of Portland. You're like a founding church. Yeah, we were the we were the first church plant of First Baptist. Wow. Uh, yeah, we are affiliated with the Conservative Baptists and the Southern Baptists, um, and we're we're just we're a diverse uh, city center congregation uh, that is deeply committed to discipleship and evangelism and missions. Two years ago, we opened a great coffee shop uh, to help serve our neighborhood. So if you're ever in Portland, oh, wonderful. Come, come look for the East Side Coffee Bar and Workspace. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. Well, you wrote a book, maybe the book on conversion, but in that book, you started out with a story about a good friend of yours that had really good adult children, and they claimed to be Christians, but they were not interested in Jesus. Why open that book on conversion in this way? Can you help us to understand the concern here? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up uh, in a church that was in many ways very similar to the church that I started pastoring about 11 years ago. Mm. And uh, as I began to encounter parents here, I realized, oh, this really sounds like, you know, frankly, my childhood. Right. And it, and it just got me thinking be- because I had all these parents uh, who were coming to me and I picked one of those stories to tell, but that they really represent a bunch of people in the church. Mm-hmm. And they're coming to me and they're saying, hey, we we did what we were told to do. We brought our kids to church. We got them in Sunday school and in youth group. We 
encouraged them to pray the prayer. Mm. They prayed the prayer. They got baptized. But they don't really seem to be interested in Jesus anymore. Yeah. You know, right. they're, they're good people. They're leading productive lives. They're, they're not, uh, you know, down and out addicts or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not dissolute. They're, they're very productive. They're very moral. But they never darken a church door. And, and then I, I think on top of that, you know, one of the things that I started doing when I got to my church here was I just started talking about what a Christian is. Mm. You know, a Christian is someone who has a vital living relationship with Jesus. A Christian is someone who really day in and day out is repenting and believing and, and living out a, a life of discipleship. And these parents began to realize, oh, that's not my kids. Right. I mean, it was disconcerting for them. Yeah, yeah. To say the least. And they would come to me and say, what, you know, did we do something wrong? Uh, wh- what are we, what are we supposed to make of our kids who did what we told them to do, but it doesn't seem to have worked? Right, right. Yeah, no, and thanks for sharing that because I agree with you. I think that is such an important starting point to understand conversion is not just a word. Like, it's not just a doctrine. It's not just a bit of theology. And so I I wanted to start out this conversation with that because I do think it's so important. So when we use the word conversion, what do we mean? Can you help us uh, even definitionally to kind of get some bearings here? Sure. I mean, I think, I mean, biblically, the place that I always want to go for conversion is is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me just Mm. like turn there real quickly. Yep. First um, Thessalonians chapter one. Paul doesn't use the word conversion here, right? But he's describing the conversion of the Thessalonians, and he and he's he's saying to the Thessalonians, "Look, what happened to you guys is so clear that you're a model for other people, and they're they're talking about what happened to you." And 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 then he gives a summary. They he says they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait Mm. for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So biblically speaking, conversion is a, it's a turning. It's a turning away from idols to God. It's a turning away from sin to faith in Christ. Now, I think one of the things that makes this, this word a, a little bit confusing sometimes is of course, Conversion is not just a Christian thing. Right. Right. People people convert uh, from one religion to another. Yep. It's not necessarily Christian. Uh, people convert from one political party to another political party. Mm-hmm. They, they convert from being a fan of one team to a fan of another team, maybe. Uh, it, has, it has a use in chemistry and different sciences. Um, but, but biblically, c- conversion is that... Uh, process, that thing that happens when we turn away from the way we were going, uh, trusting in our idols, going our own way, making ourselves God of our own lives. Mm. And, and we turn to Christ in, in repentance and faith, which is maybe superficially similar to other kinds of conversion. But, but but I think is actually utterly different from any right. other kind of conversion right. you can talk about. Right. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're going to talk about the utter difference of yeah. Christian conversion than any other in just a moment. So what exactly does conversion entail? You're, you're getting at it here. Well, you've mentioned repentance. Yeah. But what are the components of conversion? Sure. So I think when we think about conversion, we need to think about conversion first as God's work. Mm. And then secondly, as our work. Mm. So uh, if because if we're going to turn, if we're going to convert, if we're going to move from following idols to following Christ, uh, left, left to ourselves, that's never going to happen. Uh, first, God's got to do something. And so the, 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 the part of conversion that is God's work is the work of regeneration. Right. Uh, God's Holy Spirit has got to come and actually make us alive. He's got to, right. to use biblical language, he's got to remove our heart of stone that was hard toward him uh, and replace it with a heart of flesh. Uh, a heart that is soft towards God yeah, and his yeah. word. He's got to take uh, our, our deaf ears and he, he, he's he got to open them up, right? He's got to take our blind eyes and he's got to make them seeing. Uh, he's got to take somebody who's dead and actually make them alive. Yeah. So the, And that's just different, different images that scripture uses, I think, to talk about this idea of regeneration. So the first component of conversion is God's work to regenerate us. Mm, mm. But it's also our work. So what does someone who has been regenerated do? Well, <laughs> a, a regenerate person repents and believes. That's you know? right. A, yeah. a regenerate person hears now because they've been given ears to hear, they hear the word of God. Uh and it and it convicts them, convicts yeah. them of their yeah. sin and and they want to turn away from that because they mm. now they now understand that they uh, deserve God's wrath for that yeah. sin. Yeah. Uh, and and having turned away from sin, they now believe in Christ. They, they put their faith and their trust in Christ yeah. uh, as the one who uh, can, can save them from their sins, as the one who uh, died for their sins right. uh, as, as, a, as a substitute. You, you know, so now I'm going to trust him rather than myself. So I, I right. think about conversion in those two ways. First, yep. God's work, the work of regeneration, which he does sovereignly through the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, our work of repenting and believing. Yeah. No, I think that's such a helpful way to categorize that too. Okay. So, you know, one of these aspects of conversion that we do see in the Bible, and you've hinted at several there, but you have that famous encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus. Yeah. And he he talks about conversion in the terms of being born, born again. again. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, I think, one of the major ways that Christianity is different than other religions is because we're asked to have new birth. What, what's happening uh, in this in this scene, and why is it important for us to understand in terms of conversion? Yeah, I think John 3 is so important because, uh, of course, Nicodemus comes, and he wants to know, basically, how do I get into the kingdom of God? Right. And, and Jesus says, um, you got to be born again. Uh, this is where our language of regeneration comes from. And Nicodemus is blown away by that because he immediately recognizes he can't do that. That's mm. the, like, he can't make himself be born again. It's as if Jesus says, okay, this is what you got to do. Uh, be born again. And he says, well, what, you, like, I got to crawl back into my mother's womb. I can't do that. Right, um, right. And, and Jesus says, no, no, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about <laughs> right. a, a spiritual birth. And he makes the, Jesus makes the point. 
uh, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God because flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. So the spirit has got to do something. The spirit mm. of God has got to do something. But then Jesus makes it really clear, yeah, you, you, you don't have control over the spirit. Right. Uh, the spirit's like the wind. Right. You know, it blows where it will. It, it, it comes from where it comes from. It goes to where it's going. <laughs> and you, you don't get to command the wind. Nevertheless, right. if you are going to enter the kingdom of God, uh, you you must have this thing happen to you that you yourself can't control. Mm, amen. Uh, you, you can't jump th- through uh, these three hoops. You can't follow these two steps and uh, guarantee regeneration. Yeah. This, this is the work supernatural work of God. And this is, I think, one of the things that sets Christian conversion apart from every other kind of conversion. That's right. At its at its core, it's supernatural. Right. Yeah. So, Michael, is this what you were getting at when you were telling us about that story of your friends? The insinuation is that they might not be regenerated? I think that's right. Hmm. I, I think when when you see somebody that's like done the outward human actions, oh, I prayed a prayer, mm-hmm. I went to youth group, Right. I walked down the aisle, I shook the preacher's hand, I joined the church, I got baptized. I mean, those are all things you can do, right? Yeah. Uh, but but none of those things command the Spirit. Yeah, no, that's right. None, none of those things basically obligate God to, to do something. No, God, that's God right. is sovereign, He's free. Yep. And so I think when we when we see people who've like done all these outward things, and yet there there's no evident change of life, of heart. Yeah then our our assumption must be that this person has not been born again. They've not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. Right. And you're you're answering my next question because it's it's really okay if not A then B. <laughs> right. But I do want to ask it very clearly if claiming Jesus and and I want to be clear I'm not saying proclaiming, I'm saying if claiming Jesus is not necessarily enough, how can we be assured that we have been regenerated? Oh, what a great question. How can we be sure that we've been regenerated? Mm. So I'm I'm fond of saying and I didn't I didn't come up with this. I I, I think I'm quoting Pretty sure I'm quoting David Wells here. Mm. Um, the only proof of conversion is a converted life. Mm. Right. <laughs> you, you know? That's so, right. So, so how, can, how can you be sure that you've been regenerated? Mm. The, the fruits of regeneration are the proof of regeneration. And what yeah. are the fruits of regeneration? Well, it's repenting and believing, but not as a one-time action. Right. When God makes you alive. You're not alive for a day and then you die again. No, no. Right. When he makes you alive, you're alive in the spirit. And we would even expect to see growth, spiritual yeah, that's growth, right? right? So I, I think the proof of regeneration is a regenerated life, yeah, uh, a life of love for Christ and love for neighbor. Uh, 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 the, the fruit of the spirit begins to appear in your life because it's the spirit who has given you now his life, his spiritual life. That's right. And, and we begin to resemble uh, the Spirit himself, right? Yep. So I, I think that there's been a lot of really unhelpful teaching in the church over the years, and I grew up in this kind of church, that told people, look, if you just, if you just do these things, if you just pray this prayer, use this exact form of words, That's, yeah, then you're saved and never doubt it. Same for me. Yeah, so that, that bad teaching about 
what conversion actually is, then gets hooked up to, I, I think, the, the correct teaching of once saved, always saved. Right, but, right. But, but, but now, actually, having, having connected a falsehood to a truth, uh, we've created a real problem, right? For That's right. Yep. Uh, and, and we've begun to assure people that they're safe, that they're regenerate because of something they did rather than because of something that God did. Yeah. Um, and and what, what God did uh, it is not finally uh, demonstrated because of your prayer or signing a card or walking on an aisle or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what God did, if it's, if he truly did it, uh, will be demonstrated in a life that continues on in ever-growing repentance and ever-growing faith. Right, right. Yeah, and I don't know if your experience was the same as mine. I, I grew up in a, um, a missionary Baptist church. Uh, during my years, it was very Arminian. Um, and it's now actually kind of almost somewhat reformed. Um, their their pastor is, and you know, you still have people who are here and there, but by and large, it's it's reformed at least in terms of soteriology. But when I walked down the aisle at the age of nine, I remember very distinctly that once saved, always saved was a part of my conversion experience. Yeah, and what was lacking was this idea of discipleship. Discipleship, right? Following Christ, right? Saying no to self and saying yes to Jesus, right? Not just today. <laughs> Right, you, you know, to assuage your fear of hell as a small child, which is what was going on with me, probably. Uh, right, um, but but yeah, because actually, I'm now in a relationship with Christ. And right, I, right. I want to keep. I want to follow Him. I want to know Him better. Uh, I want to obey Him, and all of that is flowing out of a supernatural change in my heart. Right. Yep. I wonder. <laughs> I'm thinking. Did everyone also get assured of once saved, always saved when they were? converted or was that like was i so bad that they just wanted to say hey man you're going to doubt this a lot but once you've been saved you're really saved so maybe i was just a really bad kid but yeah no that that is really important that we we don't like you're saying attach something that is true to something that is not true that's right okay so when when we speak of getting saved because usually i think in general christianese we're not walking around saying oh yeah you know i was converted right we, we talk about being saved. being saved so what exactly are we talking about what what are we being saved from and as important what are we being saved for yeah no that's a great question i i want to start by just noting the, the tense of the verb mm. right uh, we talk about being saved. So it's interesting to me that even in our language, whether or not we understand it or not, we're acknowledging that something is being done for us and right. being done to us. Right. Uh, so, so being saved, again, is the work of God. Uh, it's, I don't save myself. I don't help out with my salvation. God has to save me. And, and so, well, what's, what's that saving all about? Well, fundamentally, I think we need to be saved from God. We need to be saved from God's wrath. Right. We, we, we often think about, um, or, or maybe you've, you've heard people talk about being saved from um, a purposeless life or right. a meaningless life. Uh, being being saved from various kinds of troubles or trials, and and that might come along with salvation, but fundamentally we need to be saved 
from God's wrath. Mm. As sinners who've rejected him, uh, we deserve uh, his judgment. Uh, he, he made us uh, to be in a relationship with him. And as sinners, we have utterly rejected that relationship. And worse than right. that, we've, we've said, oh, we, we, we'd rather trust in other things rather than God. Right. We'd, we'd rather other things be our God, or maybe I'd just rather be my own God. Right. Uh, and all of that is worthy of God's condemnation. Right. Uh, the Bible talks about that in a, in a variety of different images and terms. What people are most familiar with is just this idea of hell. Right. Uh, yeah. Hell, hell is not. And the reason I say we need to be safe from God, I think it's really important to understand hell is not the absence of God. Hell right. is the presence of God in his unrelenting judicial yeah. wrath. Yeah. That's what we need to be saved from. Right. Uh, so if we're saved from God's wrath, what are we saved to and for? Mm. Well, uh, we are saved, I think, ultimately for God's glory. We become really displays and trophies of his grace and his love, our salvation uh, from his wrath yeah. uh, d- displays his great love, his great power, his great grace, and all of that just glorifies him as the great God that he is. That's right. We're, we're, we're saved to uh, not just a, a relationship with God in and through Christ, but we're saved into his people, uh, which, which we now understand uh, is the church. Right. right. We're, we're saved into the people of God. Uh, so it's not just an individual private thing. I'm, I'm saved into a, a corporate community that the God is is rescuing from the kingdom of darkness and bringing into the kingdom of his son. Uh, so there's a, there's a corporate aspect to this salvation. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of it is because of his love and, and, and by his grace through the, the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. That's right. Um, God, God saves us because he loves us. Right. He, he doesn't save us because he saw something worthy in us in the future. He doesn't save us because we were better than anybody else. He saves us just out of sheer mm. love. Yeah, amen. Unmerited, undeserved. And that that love accomplished our salvation by by giving itself in the person of his son on the cross. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's a bit about, about salvation. It's not just getting, getting saved to some like, uh, happy place we call heaven and maybe God's there. Maybe God's not. No, I kind of don't really care. I'm just sort of looking forward to that happy place. No, no, no. no. Our, Our salvation, uh, from first to last is all about God saved from his wrath, saved because of his love and by his grace into his people and for his glory. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's very helpful. You know, we've talked about this uh, in, a, in a few different ways, but what does a converted life look like? And so I, I guess what I'm asking is, is there a one size fits all mold? The moment we are converted, are we expected to be knowledgeable and we, we, we just have it all together? What does this life look like? Yeah, so uh, excellent question. So, so in one sense, no, there's not a one size 
that's all mold, right? Uh, the Lord saves us out of all sorts of different backgrounds. Mm. He saves us with, and in, in, in that salvation, you know, we bring uh, to the converted life uh, a history, maybe with right. certain baggage. And my baggage might be different than your baggage, but right. we also bring strengths, you know, and my strengths might be different than your strengths. Uh, we bring our own personality uh, uh, mm. to the converted life, uh, a personality that he gave us. Uh, so all, all the uniqueness that, that makes up me or that makes up you, we, we bring that to the converted life. So the converted life is going to look different uh, from Christian to Christian. Yeah. On the other hand, I, I do think there, there are certain things that are going to be consistent across all Christians. Right. Right. So there's, there's going to be a love for Christ, his word, and his people. Um, somebody who claims to be a Christian, converted, born again, but has no interest in Christ, I, I, don't, I don't think so, right? Mm, I mean, right. That, that would be me like trying to assure you that I, I love my wife, but I'm not really interested in her. No, right, right. No, my, the, my, my love for my wife uh, shows itself, works itself out because I'm really interested in her and yeah. I'm interested in what she did today and I'm interested in her plans for the future and I'm, I'm interested in all the things about her, right? Right. Well, it's the same for Christ. There's a love for Christ. But, but there's also, there, therefore, a, a love for his word, right? And, and a desire uh, to obey his word. Jesus yeah. is, is really clear uh, about those who say, Lord, Lord, but don't do what he says. That's, That's right. You know, um, if, if you're not interested in what he says, and if you're not willing to obey what he says, then... You know, I'm not sure how much claim you have uh, to actually being a follower of his, to being right. a born again disciple. Right. Um, and, and then, and then, of course, I think there's you know love for his people. Right. Yep. Um, you you can say that you love Christ, but if you don't like, if you have no love for all the others that Christ has saved and yeah. has saved you into, then yeah, I don't know. Right. Um, we we talk about this sometimes as parents. You know, yeah. If you, Love me, love my kids. You don't love my kids, it's going to be really hard to love me. Yeah. Well, I mean, we are being saved into a family. Yeah, that's right. And so, and, and so part of that converted life means growing in our love and our concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so we can talk about, we can talk about um, those kinds of loves. Obviously, we can talk about the fruit of the Spirit um, growing in, in gentleness, growing in patience, growing in humility. Now, you know, Depending on personality and where we started, you know, my, my growth in patience might look different than your growth in patience. That's right. But I think we both, sh- you know, an outsider should see in both of our lives patience. Right. Because that's what the spirit produces. Right. Um, I think that it would be hard to, to describe uh, a converted life or, or the, the, the fruit of conversion uh, without also talking about repentance, right? Right. Repentance is not something that we did when we became a Christian, and now we don't really have to worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, I, the, the the converted life is a life of repentance e- every day. Uh, it's uh, it's a, a new day for repentance. Yeah. 
And the converted life is a life of faith. Every day is um, a new opportunity to lean on Jesus and trust him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's that phrase in the gospel, um, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. In keeping with repentance, exactly. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think we do, uh, and and thank you so much for your answer, because, you know, right there at the end, I think we do. We kind of forget that repentance is not only a momentary thing where we are turning from our sin and trusting in Christ. It's it's the fruit of Christian living. We, we right. live repentant lifestyles. So that's, that's really helpful, and I think it's very, very important. So uh, along these lines, what would you say to someone, or maybe there's someone listening, uh, and they think, wow, I, I have, like, friends or family, and... They seem sincere about their faith or their trust in Jesus or whatever they want to call it, but they just don't have any of these signs that you're talking about. What, what might you say to that person? Well, okay, um, somebody who claims to be a Christian and they seem sincere about the claim, but you're not seeing any fruit. Right. What do we say about that person? What do we say to that person? Yeah, so what would we say to that person? Or maybe we can... We can go another route. What if we have a, a believing person who has a friend who is in this category? How might yeah. you encourage them to to interact yeah. with this person? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Paul's words to the Corinthians at the mm-hmm. end of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is he doesn't say Look back at something you did a long time ago. Right. To see if you're in the faith. Right. He doesn't say, hey, go do some spiritual archaeology and examine that that profession that you made 10 years ago. He actually says, look at your life today. Test yourselves right now. Right. Examine yourselves right now. So I think um, we, we want to continue to press people uh, to to a present and living faith and not relying on a historical faith. Right. A historical repentance. Right. Now, if somebody is is genuinely sincere, they say, no, no, I, I, I really do believe this, but you're just not seeing any fruit. Well, I mean, then there are lots of questions you're going to have to ask, right? I mean, w- one certainly might be, well, yeah, you may be sincere, but you still might not be saved, right? Uh, right, um, right. But, uh, but I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time worrying about that. I'm going to call them to repentance and faith today, right? Yeah. Um, I, I might also uh, consider, well, maybe this is somebody who just hasn't been taught. They've not been discipled. Uh, maybe maybe there, there was a genuine faith, good in Christ. Maybe there was a genuine repentance, but for for whatever reason, uh, there, there's just been there, there's not been much fruit because because mm. frankly, uh, there's not been much input. Right, right. Uh, there's been there's been no discipleship. So I want to be I want to be careful and, and 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 gentle with people. I'm always struck by Paul's work with the Corinthians. Right, like he's got basically nothing good to say about them. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a there's a lot of stuff that he's got to bear with yep. about the Corinthians. But he does affirm that they are believers. But That's they're right. they are boy, they are believers that need instruction. <laughs> yeah. They are believers that need discipling. Mm. Uh, they are believers that they've got some stuff to repent of. 
Yeah. You, you know. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, if I'm, I'm working with such a person, I, I'm, I'm not going to just immediately say, oh, no, you're totally self-deceived. Uh, you're not really saved. Right. Uh, I'm going to begin to disciple, take them to the scriptures, teach them what a Christian is. Yes. A Christian is someone who is repenting and believing every day. And, and only after it's, it's clear uh, that we're getting no traction, mm. right? That, that, this, that, that, that feeding, feeding them the word and kind of trying to water and fertilize their faith is, is producing nothing. Right. A- am, am I going to begin to think, uh, this, this person actually is probably self-deceived? Yeah. I do think self-deception will show itself. Yep. In, the, in the same way that I think um, regeneration will show itself. Right. Time will always tell. Right. Yep. Thank you so much for that gracious and pastoral response. And, and, and too, I want to ask it because I do think, especially if there is a believer who has a friend or someone like this, you know, you can become disheartened very quickly, but it is good to remember that, you know, we even have to persevere through difficult things with people that we love. And yeah. uh, sometimes it's taking time, no matter how difficult and disheartening it is, to come alongside someone. And like you're saying, disciple them. If what they need is milk, then holding the bottle until they can hold it for themselves. That's right. One other thing I would just add, sometimes I think it's helpful as you're talking to someone about their professed faith. I I have three, kind of three different categories in my mind all the time. Mm. Uh, This really comes out of the Reformation. and, and the first two categories are, are necessary, but not sufficient, okay? So, the, the first category is just knowledge. If, if you're going to mm. have faith in Christ, you got to know some things. That's right, yeah. Right? Um, there's a Latin word for it, but we don't need to worry about that right <laughs> now. Um, you got to know some things uh, about uh, Christ and about God and about, about yourself. And, and you got to believe that those things are, are true. Mm-hmm. But then you you actually also need to uh, kind of agree with some things, right? So those things that you know, you actually have to agree that they apply to you. Um, again, there's a fancy Latin word for that, but we don't need to worry about it. Um, <laughs> Can you give us the Latin words? Because I'm really intrigued now. Well, so first is notitia. Uh, so you've got to you've got to know. Mm. The second word is ascensus. You've got to uh, assent. Yeah that these things are true about you and toward you. Yeah, you can hear the Greek in the Latin of no. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So so then um but and those those two things are necessary, mm-hmm. but they're not sufficient. So especially if you're dealing with somebody who grew up in the church, they might have right. a lot of knowledge. Right. They might even have a lot of agreement. But until they have the third that third piece uh, the Latin word for it is fiducia. You're right. Uh, until they have trust. Yes. You don't have saving faith. And and that's that's what we're aiming for when we're working with people. Yeah. Um, we can fill their heads with knowledge, and if you grew up in the church, you probably have it. And if you're, if boy, especially maybe you, you grew up in the Bible Belt or, or in the South, mm-hmm. um, it's not only that you know it, you, you kind of agree with it. Because everybody else right. agrees with it. It's sort of right. the worldview that you were given and, and and you agree with it. Oh, but but until you're you're trusting in it. So fiducia. And that's that idea of 
of leaning on it so that you're 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 not trusting in other things you're you're trusting in this alone right to, to support your life right. uh, in the same way that i can i can know how a chair works and i can agree that it will hold me up but i'm not trusting that chair until i sit in it that's right so it is with christ yeah there has to be a like a, just a sitting down <laughs> on yep. christ right and right. really trusting that that his death and his death alone is what i need right yeah Okay, so now a question that would stem from that is, you know, someone may be listening and, and they may just have, uh, may, maybe they just have a tender conscience. And, and the question might arise, okay, well, how can I know that I'm saved? Yeah. How can I be sure? How can I not be someone who is self-deceived and thinking that I trust Christ when I don't? Yeah, yeah. Well, ultimately, I think assurance is part and parcel of faith, this trusting in Christ. Mm. Um, so what I want to say to the person who is maybe doubting, I want to say, look to Christ. Yeah, amen. Look to Christ. Um, put put your faith in him. Don't, 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 um, don't look uh, at your belly button. Don't, don't yep. look yep. Uh, at, at, at this piece of evidence and that piece of evidence uh, because because ultimately what's going to happen is you'll look at this evidence of grace in your life or that evidence of grace in your life and you'll begin to wonder, whoa, is that enough? Right. But yep. maybe it's not, maybe it's not sincere. Yep. Um, so I think ultimately assurance comes and is part, part and parcel of faith in Christ. Right. Uh, I did, I did my um, doctoral work uh, on a, a group of Puritans and, and one of them, a guy named, a guy named Thomas Goodwin mm -hmm. talks about this in his own uh, kind of testimony, how uh, he he spent his early years just racked with doubt yeah. about his own salvation because he was constantly examining the evidence of his own life. Yeah. And, and he could always find fault with it. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there, there just was, there just was no final rest right. in that evidence. And it wasn't until an older Puritan told him to basically stop looking at yourself so much. <laughs> right. And trust Christ. Right. That he found assurance. Yep. Now, I, I don't mean this to sound contradictory, but, but the reality is uh, when we look to Christ in that way, it's going to produce evidence. Yeah, that's right. Right? That's right. It, it's it's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Because this is the repentance and faith that we're talking about. So when we look to Christ, uh, what we're going to see, in the same way Paul said to the Corinthians, test yourself, what we're going to see is the fruit of the Spirit. We're, right. we're going to see evidences of repentance. We're going to see evidences of growth. Um, but ultimately, uh, those things, while, they may, while they're evidences of grace and they're important, ultimately, I don't know that those are going to give you assurance. Right. I think right. the assurance uh, that, that your, your soul longs for uh, is, is going to come from Christ himself. That's right. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And um, oftentimes when I have people coming to me and, and they are just struggling with this question, you know, there are a few preliminary questions that we ask, you know, you know what's your understanding of the gospel? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a great understanding of the gospel. You know, what does your life look like in terms of the fruit of the Spirit? Oh, wow, you, you definitely have fruit of the Spirit, at least as mm -hmm. you're confessing here. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times it gets to that point. I feel like you 
at some point have started staring at your sin and you've stopped looking at the cross. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and you're stuck. You you're are stuck. overwhelmed by your sin, but you're not allowing the, the grace of the cross to flood in and, and be true in this moment. And it always is, oh, you're exalting your sin over, over Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, I think this is where, you know, the local church is so important. Um, right. And being a member of a local church is so important because we often do get stuck. That's I, right. We, we get stuck in the weeds of our own lives. Yes. Uh, we lose perspective on ourselves. Yep. yep. And, and this is where being a member of, of a local church becomes so important because in one sense, uh, a, a, a local church is, an, is uh, what Mark Dever calls an assurance of salvation co-op. That's right. Right? You, <laughs> yeah. you know, so what are we doing in church membership? And I don't mean just your name on a roll. I, I mean a vital, living, active engagement in a local church. Yeah. Ba- basically what we're doing is is we... You know, I'm looking at you for members of the same church. I'm looking at you and say, brother, I think you're a Christian. Yeah. I, I can see it. Right. Here's yeah. how I see it. Yep. And I, and I want to affirm that publicly to the world. And you're looking at me and you're saying, hey, I can see it. I, I see the evidence of grace. And so there's this there's this kind of mutual encouragement going yeah. on yeah. Uh, in in a, a meaningful church membership. Yeah, that's right. Um. And, and when we have to put somebody outside of the church, it's for the same reason, because, oh, that's right. we are not seeing the evidence right, that a regenerated right. life would produce. Yep, yep. And we're not saying you're going to hell, because that's past our that's right. pay grade. Right. But we can't assure you anymore publicly that you're a that's Christ right. follower. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and that's what we do in, in baptism. You know, typically some churches right. will have a testimony read, but the testimony is heard at some point, whether it's... Uh, yeah. an elder of the church or before the church, and the church affirms this profession of faith, and, exactly. and we witness it in baptism. And then however often you take the Lord's Supper, we are affirming together the faith that we have affirmed at baptism throughout our exactly. lives and in exactly. this moment. It's what the church does. Um, right. Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so with our final question here, I want to take a moment to give you an opportunity to help encourage maybe parents or siblings or friends who have lost hope that someone they know and love can be saved. Oh, yeah. Uh, How might you encourage that person? Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing there uh, is to realize that as long as they're drawing breath, the story's not over. And so don't don't give up. Persevere. Yeah. Um, Jesus tells multiple parables about the need to persevere in prayer. Keep praying, keep asking. Obviously, conversion is beyond our pay grade. We can't make it happen. Right. Uh, and yet it is God's delight to convert sinners. Right. It's his great joy. Uh, it doesn't mean he's going to do it on our timetable. Uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that uh, I, I can... I can like reverse engineer it or, or somehow or another, like set it up so that, oh, now God's got to act. No. Right. Right. Um, but as long as someone is drawing breath, as long as they have ears to hear, uh, like the sound of your voice. I, yeah. I, I still mean the gospel. God's got to give them that. But as long as they right. can hear the sound of your voice. That's right. Uh, do not give up. And so a lot of times what I say to parents is, look, this is a long game. So you may go through a period, um, as as 
I, I did with some of my kids where it just looks like there's no hope. Yeah, they yeah. are in utter rebellion. They want nothing to do uh, with with the church. They want nothing to do with Christ or Christianity. Right. And it just looks like they're heading in the wrong direction fast. Um, I think one of the things you want to do is prioritize the relationship. Right. Yep. Um, don't don't burn the bridges. Uh, you might want to sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's don't right. Don't burn those bridges. Yep. Prioritize that relationship. Do what you need to do to stay in their life so that you can keep loving them, keep speaking the truth to them uh, so that you can be there, but keep praying, yeah. right? Yep. I, uh, when, when I sent um, one of my kids off to college uh, a few years ago, I just, I, I was pretty discouraged, you know, uh, because uh, Probably when he was younger, I would have assumed he was a Christian. But right, by the time right. we were at the end of high school, he had made it really clear that he was <laughs> not a Christian. Oh, yeah. Which made me glad that we didn't baptize him early. Right, yeah. And off he goes to college and kind of, you know, I don't have any control over schedule anymore. I don't have control over who he's around, friends, it, nothing, right? But my wife and I just prayed. Yeah. We prayed and we prayed. Yeah. The Lord was kind and gracious. And there were a group of Christians uh, there at university that befriended him. And even though he was a, a pain, <laughs> even, though he, <laughs> even though he was not a very easy friend, right, right. Uh, they kept at it. They persevered uh, with him. Amen. Uh, and, and the Lord dramatically and radically saved him. Mm, praise God. I know every story doesn't end that way. But I, it, every story is kind of like that. We That's are right. not in control. Not at all. We, we can't make it happen. Oh, but God delights in saving sinners. So pray, keep, maintain the relationship, um, and and don't give up. Persevere. As long as there's as long as there's life, there's hope. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, Michael, thank you for taking some time to have this conversation. It really has been a joy for me to talk to you. And uh, thank you for all of your insight. And it is so very clear that you are a pastor. And I thank you for for just kind of shepherding us through this conversation. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can help others find and be encouraged by this content by leaving a rating and review wherever you're listening.